Hello and welcome back to Wandering the Edge, a podcast about Ukrainian history with a dash of travel. Uh, I'm your host Larissa and today we will be continuing our travels through ancient Trapelian culture. Also, good news, thanks to my friend Petrusia, you can now listen to us on Podcast Addict, where you can also leave a review saying how great this podcast is. You can also find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, also remember to review and rate if you want, and of course, the website wanderingtheedge.net. Please mind my language and let us finish this two-parter episode. Don't worry, I won't be talking about dwellings and city sizes so much in this part. But before we get back to the Kukuteni Tripulian civilization, let me first give you some ideas about travel destinations in Ukraine. So, as I mentioned in the previous episode, I like museums. Uh, I like them when I'm practically the only person in there and have time to experience and read and learn uh, about whatever it is the museum is about. It's even better when said museum is free or has a really cheap admittance. That is why when my friends Petrusia and Bo uh, came to visit me when, we, when I was living in Kiev, uh, I looked up some places around the city. And that is how I found Pereyaslav Hmelnytsky. It's an important historical town since this is where Kozak Hetman Bogdan Hmelnytsky uh, signed that stupidly infamous agreement with Moscow in 1654, which basically resulted in the Russian occupation of Ukraine. So thanks a lot, assholes. Uh, the town itself is like an hour drive southeast of Kiev and is like the capital of museums in Ukraine. It has a lot of them and they vary. There's um, large outdoor museums and then there are smaller uh, thematic museums. Like there's this retro Soviet bread museum and then there's like the museum to Sholem um, Alechem. Sorry if I misspelled that or mispronounced that. Um, he was a, a leading Yiddish writer. Apparently, there are 23 museums in this one little town. You can get there using a marshutka, which is like a Ukrainian weird minibus um, outside of the Kharkivska, Borispilska, and Chernihivska metro stations. But my husband just drove us there on one cold March day. So uh, along Shevchenko Street in Pereyaslav, there are several museums. But the one I want to discuss today is the Trpilska Cultural Museum located at 10 Shevchenko Street. The actual museum isn't that big, uh, but you do get to see some of the artifacts found from the Trapelian culture, uh, plus some modern influences from it. I do recall we had a personal guide since we were the only ones there. She was very informative and you could clearly tell she loved what she was doing. So that was great to see. Uh, and because we were the only ones there, we could get a little closer look at the artifacts themselves. Not touch them. Never touch the artifacts. Ever. Anywhere. 
uh, but we can lean it, it uh, in a bit more. So there were artifacts that included stuff from uh, children's clay toys to grain graders to pictures and jewelry. Plus, there was a, a map that outlined the extent of the Trapelian culture throughout Ukraine. And it was like hmm, five hryvnias to get in, which is like 50 cents or something. So you have time for a day trip. It is well worth it. Now, if you want to see the real thing and you have time to do another day trip, maybe go down to the actual Trapelia village where it was all discovered. Uh, it's about a 40 kilometer ride south from Kiev and sits right along the Dnipro River. It is in Trapelia that you will find the Cave Regional Archaeology uh, Archaeological Museum. Uh, it's located on 12 Heroi of Trapelia Street, and again, not a big museum. Uh, one of the halls is dedicated to the Trapelian civilization, uh, and of course, you can get a guided tour. Uh, additionally, there's artifacts from as back as the Iron Age up to the Cossacks. Uh, if you are doing a good day trip, uh, you could also just walk around the village since it sits nestled along the Dnipro banks and looks super pretty. Okay, so in the last episode... Uh, we talked about the spread, population, and settlements of the Trapelia civilization. But here's a summary from Serhi Plochi's The Gates of Europe, A History of Ukraine, which is a book I unexpectedly bought on Amazon. And so I will quote it because I then can get some use out of it. Side note, be careful what you put into your basket because when you look at a book of interest and then forgot you put it there and then you buy some random other shit and just hit automatic checkout, you'll get a surprise book out of it. Not to say Plochi's book isn't good. It is. Uh, it was just a nice surprise, but a surprise nevertheless. So uh, thanks, Amazon. Anyway, uh, Plochi uh, stated that by the quote, fifth millennium BC, the Kukutani Trapelian culture settled in the forest steppe borderlands between the Danube and Dnipro and engaged in animal husbandry and agriculture, built large settlements, and produced clay statuettes and colored ceramics. End quote. The most important element of the Trapelian civilization was, of course, agriculture, because without it, you would all die. Uh, plus, it's important because it was the first time that farming became super widespread and organized. Um, I'll let Brian Fa uh, Fagan explain this from his People of the Earth, an introduction to world prehistory, in which the Trapelian farmers from about 4000 BCE, uh, quote, finally submerged the Mes uh, Mesolithic foragers of the valleys, perhaps because the cultivators relied extensively on cattle, whose grazing demands may have competed with the hunter-gatherer's foraging needs. In about 2800 BC, the climate deteriorated, creating cultiva uh, making cultivation less viable. At this point, balanced economies emerged, relying on stock breeding on the steppe and farming in the forest steppe, a balanced dynamic that survived into recent times." End quote. 
Want to know what else survived until recent times? What they cultivated. Mainly cereals, like wheat. Uh, and in order to exploit this cultivation, the farming village could only cultivate fields within a five kilometer radius of the settlement. Apparently, this is like the maximum plausible size, but that's just the theory, so who knows? Which is basically the unofficial model of archaeology. Now, the reason we know of the popularity of farming was due to the artifacts that were found in the excavations. Uh, agricultural tools such as sickles made for flint, inlaid in antler or wood, hoes, <laughs> uh, made from antler or horn, grinding stones, made from, you know, stone. Also, archaeologists can figure out what type of diet these people had based on, you know, poop, but also from storage jars. Uh, but poop is more fascinating. Um, but I guess for the Trapelian culture, plants were found in burnt clay, so it was nicely preserved that way. From the article that I looked at from Rika Videko, uh, she has these really awesome pictures of these clay samples with like cultivated grains stuck in them. It's really fascinating. And to know that they're thousands of years old is even more interesting. Anyway, she noticed that in the excavation work of Maidanetske, the two primary grains that were available to, to the Trapelians were uh, barley and wheat. And these are still popular staples in Ukrainian food. Uh, their diet also included other grains like rye, millet, oaks, and hemp, but also stuff like peas, beans, apricots, plums, grapes, and they even kept bees. Um, additionally, archaeologists noticed that they used fruits, fragments of stems, leaves of wild plants as a mix to coat the walls of buildings, maybe for some special ceremonial purpose, but who knows. Uh, in the pictures that are from um, that Vadeko's article there are that are available on the free online journal, uh, which I put a link on to the sources blog on wanderingtheedge.net, um, and then you can actually clearly see an imprint of a thousands of years old pine cone. Like, it's amazing. Um, apart from the cultivating of soil and harvesting crops, they tended their animals and practiced animal husbandry. What kind of animals might you ask? Well, let me tell you, definitely pigs, which is important in every episode about this. So I guess it's somehow important, but it's pigs. There's really not much to them, really. They're like the ideal animal pet. And of course, cattle, sheep, goats, and then there is some evidence of ox being used as a draft animal. There are theories that horses were also used, but there's debate about this, uh, but we do know that they ate wild horse meat, so it's possible that they started off using the horse as food and then sort of realized that you could actually use them for something other than food and thus domestic horses. Of course, to supplement their diets with uh, wild game, which they hunted using spears, clubs, and bows and arrows. That included animals like deer, boar, foxes, and even bears. Oh, my bears. Oh, and of course, fishing. 
fishing was big because they tended to settle around water naturally and they used fish hooks made from bone and copper and even harpoons for larger uh, fish kind. Anyway, apart from all of that, flint became a popular material to like make stuff out of and so the extraction of flint was actually a popular trade so excavation sites included processing areas specifically for flint Uh, these were mines and workshops that contained mostly flint flakes let's try saying that like five times Uh, which is how they figured out flint production and trade were important to the trapelians Why was flint so important? Because it was used to cut the stalks and they would chip a lot and so a lot of replacements were needed. Additionally, a very important food staple element was detected from the Trapelian excavations. Salt. So the earliest salt work is in Romania and predates the Cucuteni Trapelian period, but clearly this influenced them in some way. Uh, They would take brackish water, uh, boil it down to a brine, and then boil that down further until there was crystal salts left behind, and then these were like scraped out. Salt was important for our ancestors as a nutrient, a a drying agent, but also because domestic cattle needed in order to produce enough milk, which is a fact I didn't even know about. Apparently, there are guesstimates that anywhere between uh, 36,000 to 100,000 kilograms of salt were needed per year per megasite. And because these salt bride ponds weren't easily available, they had to be moved from the western Black Sea shores and from the Carpathian Mountains. And this meant trade. Now, the Trapelian civilization traded amongst themselves, naturally, uh, moving around salt, flint, and copper to the different clans, but they also traded outside of their clans. There is evidence that they traded with the culture that lived in the Balkan area, uh, who traded for uh, metallurgical centers. Now, this was because of the copper artifacts found there, I guess. Uh, Uh, There's also evidence that they traded with the Transylvania region because because of the copper and ore objects that were found. On the other side of the stretched out civilization, we have trade with the Black Sea communities. Now, later on in the course of time, the Proto-Indo-Europeans began to migrate westward uh, further into Europe, and there was trade with them also. We know this because more weapons show up, made from silver, which is something archaeologists attribute to the Proto-Indo-Europeans. In turn, those pies, Proto-Indo-Europeans, get it, traded for the Trapelian painted wares and figures. So pottery was a pretty important element of the Trapelian culture. It's found in every excavation site and well-preserved because of the way that they burnt down their settlements. Uh, The pottery found in these sites vary from useful artifacts to decorative pieces. That useful pottery was like hand-sculpted utensils, which included a large pear-shaped vessel for grain, so like scoops, uh, various pots, bowls, spoons, colanders, and these like binocular things. 
Now, these cooking and tableware utensils were imprinted with decorations and encrusted with white or red paste and painted with mineral paints. The paints were made with whatever was at hand. So in the Maidanetska site, titanium was found in the paint, which means that deposits were found in areas nearby. Apparently, in order to get certain colors for the pottery, meant that some of them had to be furnished in superheated ovens up to 1000 degrees celsius i guess the darker you want the paint the hotter you need to make the oven in order to get a controlled burn in the kiln they used one that had two chambers a combustion and a filling chamber which was pretty damn advanced for ceramic technology for that time a lot of the pottery includes pots in order to hold like oil, grains, and other stuff. Uh, some of the designs on the pots themselves include things like nets, fish, waves, and like birds and shit. Anyway, I think the wave pattern is actually a fire pattern since at least to me, fire was such an important element to the Trapelians. These designs have actually been passed down into modern Ukrainian design. A lot of our folk art includes some stuff like carpet weaving, pottery, wood carving, and embroidery, and in particular, Easter egg um, decorations still use the Trapelian symbols, especially the geometric and floral ornamental motifs in a classic brown, dark red color. There's some symbols that we know what they mean. Like if there's a snake and a horse, Clearly, they meant to represent a stake and a horse. But there's a lot of like swirly, curly stuff that we just don't know what they mean. There are those who guess based on what archaeologists have found out in other civilizations like Egyptian or Sumer, Sumer hieroglyphs. And there's this book from like 2002 that also has their version of what the glyphs mean but i honestly didn't read it mainly because they have no actual information on how they base their interpretations but there is a great summary of the symbols on this pisanka.info website which is about a, like all the different types of ukrainian easter egg symbolism again some of these symbols are like uh no shit sort of thing like a tree is clearly the tree of life which is still a constant use in ukrainian embroidery design especially for ukrainian wedding traditions there's like clearly water represented by these squiggly wavy lines but there's others where you just look at the explanation and go huh so there's like these spiral waves that interconnect and apparently that means how everything comes together all right, like how? Uh, I don't know. Because there is a lot of, inf that's a lot of info for just like a squiggle. While another squiggly line means changes and another means equilibrium. Sure. I mean, I'm not an expert, so this is possibly an influence from other ancient civilizations that I just don't see. Uh, again, a lot of these symbols are still in use. And this might also influence what we think their meaning is but it's still a big question mark. What we do know is that spirals were an, an important cosmetic element since they are a major element, a, a de major design element. 
And this can be associated with their belief of a cyclical lifespan, which is something we talked about in the last episode. Apart from the spirals, we also have a lot of anthropomorphic, there it is, images, including women. On some pottery, we see women dancing, and since they are featured on grain containers, this is connected with the end of summer, uh, the end of the harvest, and the knowledge that for another year, they still have enough food to survive. So yes, I assume that would warrant a party or two. In addition to this type of pottery, we also have models of houses, necklaces, amulets, female statuettes, and this weird binocular statue thing. So, like, 10 years ago, uh, the Royal Ontario Museum had an exhibit for the Trapelian Civilization, and I went, er, probably with my mom. The only thing I actually remember from that was these binocular-type pottery thingers, and literally all the descriptions were like, no clue. Uh, I used an image of these binocular cup holder things as the cover for this episode, so you could see what I'm talking about. Archaeologists know it was made from clay, and the designs on them were similar to the other pots in the containers, but no one has any idea what they were used for. Like, it's probably something to do with religion, because why would you have hollow binoculars lying around for? Like, there's just two holes in the binocular part of the structure, so it's not a container, and you can't really do anything with it for cooking, so like... I guess the only option left is a decorative piece, maybe? Like, if you look at it in a certain way, it it almost sort of looks like two drinking vessels infused together. But again, why the fuck is it hollow? I think, and again, not an archaeologist, nor am I an expert on ancient Neolithic civilizations, but if you look at it a certain way, it sort of looks like two people holding hands. So maybe, maybe, it's just a symbolism of establishing a single family unit from two different ones. I, uh, I don't know. I don't even know if these people were monogamous, but it's a theory and a theory based on nothing but my own opinion, but a theory nonetheless. Another extraordinary Trapelian artifact is this female statuette, which is literally found everywhere. And due to the large amount of these doll statuettes, uh, there are theories that the Trapelians believed in something like um, a mother goddess. But this is still very contested by archaeologists, and there are multiple theories about these statuettes. Like, there's ideas about fertility, uh, the phases of the moon, something about representing masculinity or something, something, I don't know. I like the idea that I found outlined by Ihor Kochkin because it's fucking simple. It's for protection. This is because depending on where they're found, they may represent different things. Also, that little clicking you hear in the background is my cat eating because she's weird and she has to be in the same room at me 
at all times. And you can see images of her if you follow us on Instagram at Wander Edge Ukraine. Just FYI, she's great. Uh, where was I? So Igor Kochkin, um, he believed that depending on where these statuettes were found, they may represent different things. So if it's under the floor, that's for preserving the house and its inhabitants. If it's found near the stove, it's for the hearth. If it's near the grain mills, it's for the fertile grinding season. In the containers to protect the food. If it's placed in places of worship, then of course that would be associated with some sort of religious ceremony. Kochkin also states that although Trapelian cemeteries were few and far between, where there are children's bones found, there was a female statuette near them, along with rattles, which, oh God, that's just sad. But these statuettes were only found near children's graves, so it clearly had to do with something to do with protecting children in the afterlife. Or maybe like a link to the underworld, or I don't know, again, I'm not an archaeologist. So all of this goes toward the question of religion. What do we know? Again, not a lot. Clearly that female goddess was important in some way, but we don't know. Were these people worshipping gods like they did in Egypt who had animal representations? Were they worshipping animals outright? Or were they more of the Greek-Roman humanization variety? No clue. We do know they worshipped in specific buildings, namely those public buildings in the middle of the cities, since they built cult-adjacent ceramics, oh, since we found cult-adjacent ceramics and tools and stuff. In the opinion of Eftved uh, Lib, cult celebrations would include up to 60-70 people based on the capacity of the clay benches that were placed in these special public buildings. There's also a whole shit ton of anthrop... Oh, God, this damn word again, anthropomorphic meh, figurines placed throughout, more female than male, and doing various variety, variety of things like sitting, standing, grinding grain, some were even pregnant. In the Malinivka site, there were 12 standing figurines, one seated, of which five were male, seven female, and one couldn't be identified. In another site, there were realistic statuettes found, but also several female figurines that included elements of a bird and snake. But also the type of female statues included the matron, the virgin, the pregnant one, and the sun female. There are theories that some of these statuettes would be used for the marriage ceremony. The statuettes have had, that have their hands bound around their stomachs as if holding something. Because apparently that symbolizes marriage. I don't know. Sure. Uh, there were also like figurines that reproduce dance poses. So this might also have something to do with their religious ceremonies. Archaeologists think that this was a link to that woman's dance during the harvest. I mean, I get where archaeologists want to link the Trapelian civilization with a mother goddess worldview theory. But again, we just don't know. Clearly, some type of goddess was important. And females were also seen as important elements of either their religion or even their society. But it's still a big question mark. Signs were also important to their religion. They were found in altars 
and the actual buildings too. Some were clearly associated with fire, duh. But also there were like uh, bullhorns, the different phases of the moon, stars, triangles, snakes, circles, spirals, and rhombuses. Uh, Because of this depiction of the moon phases, it is clear that they have some understanding of the lunar lunar orientation, and this might mean some link to the religious practices of the Trapelians. Snakes were also important, and some believe it was something to do with binary uh, opposites. So, like the same thing as like there the ying, there is the ying to the yang, or like the serpent eating its own tail. Now, death in the Trapelian civilization is even more mysterious. I mentioned in the previous episode that there were no cemeteries. Well, there are burials that were found, but nothing really organized. Monica Gronza, Giorgetta Mule, and Luminita Bed... Oh, God, I'm sorry. Bayanaru, in their work... Oh, God, this is such a long goddamn article name. Uh, anatom- anatomical description of human remains discovered in the prehistorical site of Kukuteni culture at Poduri Deululu Gindaru. Okay, for all of those like PhD students out there, keep your article title short for the love of all that is God. Anyways, they found that in their discoveries, the majority of skeletal remains were those of children and they were buried near or under their actual house. They also include pictures of said skeletons, so yay, that image. Um, Some women were also buried in the same way as these children, but men were absent altogether. Uh, Apart from that and some other isolated burial sites, there's not that much skeletal remains available. So where the hell did these bodies go after they died? I think, again personal opinion, not based on anything other than my readings, and definitely not excavations or experiments in any way, shape, or form. But I think they used cremation. Look, cremation needs like up to 980 degrees Celsius to be effective. We know the Trapelians could like control or shape fire. So maybe they just burned everything, including corpses. Because like, how else do you have no skeletal remains? Or yes, they could have like left their corpses for scavenger animals, but they clearly liked fire. There was some evidence of cannibalism. Um, Sergio Haimovici, in his article from 2003, titled The Human Bone with Possible Marks of Human Teeth Found at Leveni Site Kukuteni Culture, indicates that there are some impressions on bone fragments that could come from humans or rats, but definitely not dog or pigs. Uh, Other archaeologists believe this might not be cannibalism, but more of a removal of flesh and organs and leaving the bones. Or maybe it might be a version of cannibalism, since they may have thought that eating a part of an elder or clan chief well, magically that will pass along his or her powers or something. I don't know. Who knows? Anyway, again, I think they just cremated people. If not like right away, maybe like during that major city burning part, like maybe they just left their bodies somewhere specifically, like in a necropolis, and then like 
burned it all down along with the houses and possessions of those people. I know it would smell, but I'm just guessing here. Okay. So then you have a fully cyclical religious ceremony. Not only are your people were born somewhere, but so is the place they need to live. Again, no clue. But since fire is so important here, why the hell not? Um, so remember those pie people from earlier, the proto-Indo-European people? Those peeps who the Trapelians traded with? Well, it is believed it was their movement westward that basically wiped out the Trapelians. Now, the pies that actually influenced the Trapelians were the um, Yamnaya culture. Yama is a pit in Ukrainian, and they buried their dead in pits, so therefore they are the pit people. Mm. Anyway, archaeologists know that they were nomads who domesticated horses and used them in their raids. So clearly, they probably used this to attack the Trapelians, but they also traded with other Trapelian clans. So there was probably not only some killing, but also probably intermarriage, and the Trapelian civilization was just gobbled up by these pie cultures. Also, as I indicated in the previous episode, the decline of their civilization might have had to do with uh, ecological collapse, since they used up all the natural resources, but also their cattle ate a shit ton, and their agricultural practices also probably managed to eat up the minerals in the soil itself. With this much chaos, they aren't able to feed their people, and the culture itself moves past the point of no return and collapses. Climate change. Not so funny after all. Now, we come almost to the conclusion of all of this. But before we do that, I just want to criticize Stalin some more. I know, it's a favorite pastime of mine. Now, this is not even my critique, although I completely agree with it. But many archaeologists, Ukrainians, Romanians, Western, basically everyone everywhere, have criticized the Soviet Union's shitty position on academics. Why? Well, it's because Stalin closed their borders. And he did so not really giving a shit about even excavations of ancient civilizations. So when there was field work being done in the 1920s and 1930s of the Prutnistad region or anything outside of the Soviet borders, they were inaccessible to archaeologists in Soviet Ukraine. So there was a lack of knowledge exchange and therefore one archaeologist couldn't exchange his views and research with others to progress that knowledge further. Uh, Natalia Burdo adds that Soviet researchers never paid attention to those authors outside of the Soviet Union when it came to Trapelian buildings. Furthermore, Soviet excavations couldn't use the same methods and practices that they developed in the early 1900s because they were apparently too quote-unquote bourgeois Uh, Like, what the fuck is so too bourgeois about excavating ancient civilizations? It isn't until Stalin died and until Khrushchev's thaw in the 1950s that massive excavations in the Soviet Union began of the Trapelian sites and began allowing Soviet archaeologists to actually discuss shit with those archaeologists outside of the Soviet Union. Anyway, 
That, my friends, is the end of this two-parter about the Kukuteni Trapillion culture that spanned thousands of years across thousands of kilometers and involved thousands upon thousands of people. And if you're listening to me on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review on iTunes and leave a comment about anything, but it would be great to know why any like weird historical tidbit you have about your culture or people. And if you're listening on Spotify or Podcast Addict, thank you very much. And if you want to check out any sources or blogs or maybe even help with funding some of this research, please check out the website wanderingtheedge.net. As always, happy wanderings, my friends. (laughs) 